a stained glass people. One of my favorite places is to go into older or more ancient churches here and across the world. And when you go in there and you see the beautiful architecture and art of stained glass windows. You know, and most of the time, it's broken pieces of glasses that have been mended and put together to reveal a beautiful story. There's stories of people in the Bible, the narratives and scripture coming to life in the people who said yes to God. There are also stories of church history of men and women just like you and me who weren't perfect, who had broken places, but through God and who he is were brought together to reveal his glory. And you know, if you went into those churches at night and it was total darkness, you wouldn't see those stories or feel the power of them. But when the sun begins to rise and the light begins to shine through that glass, all of a sudden, those stories become alive. You know, people in the early days who might have been illiterate couldn't open up the Bible and just read those stories in scripture. So when they would go to church and they would gather together, oftentimes they would get a real picture of it when they would turn and see it played out in front of them on that glass. See, you and I are people who are not perfect, but through the grace and the goodness of God, our broken lives can be mended and put together. And when Christ Jesus signs his light on us, all of a sudden, we reveal his glory. And our stories become alive to his honor, his praise, and his glory. So we're gonna jump into the people in scripture. Individuals, real people, like me and like you, who they decided they were gonna let God's light shine upon them and through them. And they along with the world around them, saw his glory. They encountered him. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's jump right in. An idol, a furnace, and a revelation. These are three young men whose lives and story revealed God, but it wasn't easy and it wasn't comfortable. Who likes easy and comfortable? Come on, be be human. Be human for a second, just just one second, okay? Okay. You probably never get hungry. You never have to use the restroom. You never laugh at anything. You never get bored. You always like hard things. You always like difficult things. Is that you? No, come on. We like ease. We like comfort. It's okay. They're not evil things. But you know, oftentimes when it comes to our pursuit of God, it is in the most uncomfortable moments where we can see his holiness come alive. The most uncomfortable moments can become the most holy. That means they look like God. It might require us to be set apart, which means we draw near to him, but in our setting apart and being drawn near to him, we become more like him and the people around us see him. You know, overwhelming and disappointing circumstances can become opportunities for God to reveal himself. Some of you may find yourself in an overwhelming difficult circumstance, you could barely get up this morning. You had to peel yourself up and out of bed just to get ready and to come here and you've been thinking the whole time since you've been here, when can I slip out? Don't slip out. Dig deeper in. Because it's often in the most uncomfortable circumstances, unmet expectations, where the opportunities for God to really reveal himself come forth. There's a broken world around us, a broken world. And it's demanding you and I to become one with it, 
to be unified with it. It's a broken system, but it wants us a part of it. See, we're called to be people in the world, but not of it. And the not of it means our association and our connection. What are we unified with and in unity with? There's an enemy in forces of evil and darkness that wants to control your life and my life. Wants to force us. Demand our worship. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and the desert, we get to the center of what his motive really was because at the end, all he wanted was for Jesus to what? Bow down and worship him. There is evil and forces of darkness here that wants to control us. Every day when you get up, something is looking to get a grip on you and on me. To own us and tell us what to do and how to react and how to respond. And slowly down that path, we begin to worship it. Now we can either escape these moments, we can run away from them, we can ignore them. You ever do that? I do, I got four kids at home. I'll get back from something, I go in, it's like, it's all around, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And it's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And then I get tackled, bit on the ankle, and I'm back in the real world, and then, ah, the piece is gone. We try to ignore it, we can't ignore it. And we shouldn't run away, because we're people of God who are called to run in. So we gotta face them. We gotta face the uncomfortable times. We gotta face the difficult moments. Are we facing them because now it's like, oh, so you're telling me what's waiting for me tomorrow is something really bad? No, what's waiting for you tomorrow is something really good. And you're about to see why. So here, before we jump into the text of Daniel chapter three, the Jewish people in the kingdom of Judah was overtaken by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, It's a mighty kingdom. They came in. They seized Jerusalem in 597 BCE, destroyed it, the temple, the pain of what took place. The people of God now, once again, lost and wandering people. And from that, King Nebuchadnezzar took young men and individuals who were healthy, they were smart, and they were good looking. Now look to that person next to you and say, they would have taken you. Say, they would have totally snagged you up. They would have said, grab them first. Smart, healthy, and good looking. They grabbed you. And this is what they did. Why did they do this? They did this because they wanted to take the next generation and they wanted to remind them that they were something different now and make them forget who they were. So they would take them away from their home and their culture in order to begin and try and transform their mind into the image of the world and the Babylonian empire. So much so that they took these three men along with Daniel, but today we focus on the three and they changed their names. They were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Three names that represented in the meaning of the literal name, Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is my help, one who looks like Yahweh. And then they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those names associated with the gods of the Babylonians. They tried to change their name. Church, don't let your name be changed. Don't forget 
who you are. And so we jump into the story. We're gonna jump into chapter seven, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse seven, but before we do, King Nebuchadnezzar decided he wanted to make a giant image of gold. And he was demanding everyone, all people, all tribes, all languages, all those around him to worship this image. He was just showing them, I control you. I can make you worship whatever I want. I own your worship. And whoever does not fall down and worship when the music is played will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And here we are, verse seven. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this moment, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown down into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now listen to this next part. Because this is the epicenter. This is the heartbeat of what the story is telling us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, 
I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps and the perfects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of the fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They got promoted. What? Let's just jump back and say, what caused these young men to be so bold in their faith? You know, they were given different names, but they did not forget who they were. And they didn't forget who their God was. They would have remembered with each other the words that were spoken over them as young men, the words of the law, the Torah, the words of God, saying that they were a people of God and a people of covenant and a people of faith, the lineage of worship. They probably would have thought back and remembered from Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 23 through 24. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. They remembered. They remembered who they were. And they said, our God is a consuming fire, even greater than this furnace. Man, that's deep faith and deep identity, and it's exactly what God is calling you and I into. My question for us is what or who He's trying to make us forget who we are. What or who is trying to make you and I forget who we are? What relationship, what individual at work that just wrongs you any chance they get? And so you're ready to wrong them back. But don't forget who you are. Bless those who curse you. Forgive them. What relationship in your family is trying to make you forget who you are? Trying to make you run away from that marriage and go to that fantasy when God's calling you to run deeper into him and into that covenant you made? What thing Anytime, 
Anytime you're about to make a decision and it's a right and ethical decision, money comes over and you know you can get a little more this way. And so you forget who you are and you make that choice. What or who? Because people of God, we are called deep into a covenant with our all-consuming Father. He's a jealous God, just like I'm a jealous husband. In other words, Anna is my wife, not yours. You understand? She's my wife, not yours. She's mine and I'm hers. Yeah, in that way, I am a jealous husband. You're his children, not the world's, not the enemies. We have to ask ourselves a very real and honest question when we find ourselves in this text, in this story. What's trying to own you and me? Nebuchadnezzar was saying to all those that he ruled over, I own you. I can make you do anything. I can make a little image of gold and tell everybody to bow their knee to it. I have the power. I have a grip on your life. What's trying to own us? Get a grip on us. Control you and control me. Make us bow. What's stealing your worship? What's stealing your worship? Have you ever had a moment where you're honestly like about to just say with all sincerity, thank you God for who you are and the blessings you've given me. You know, you just have these moments all of a sudden, maybe you see your kids and your grandkids or maybe you're in high school or college and you just see the friends you have and they're so kind and you're having so much fun with them and you just, you say, wow, like, thank you God. Before you're about to get there, into that place of worshiping him, it's robbed by all the anxieties in your mind and all the things you don't have that you wish you had and how that money's just not there and that job and that promotion you thought you'd get is not there and all these things come in to just steal your worship and you begin to give your affection and attention to them. What's trying to control us? Like I said, unity reveals ownership. They will know that we are his, the Lord Jesus, we are his children, Christians, by our love for one another, by our unity and connection with each other and how we interact with one another. They will look at us and they will know who we're connected to, who we're in unity with. Jesus crying out in John chapter 16 when he's crying out to the Father, Father God, as we are one, make me one with them and them with you and all of us one in unity together. Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wasn't saying, I don't have a yoke or a burden. We're called to be yoked and connected with him in unity with him. And there's a world that wants that unity from us. But see, we're called to bring the world into that place, not be drawn out of it. These young men were tested. And like I said, this verse right here in verse 18, you know why it's the hardest one? It's the most uncomfortable. It's the most uncomfortable because it's an unmet expectation 
or feels like an unanswered prayer. In other words, it didn't go how I thought it was gonna go. And these young men, before it even happens, they address it. But even if he does not, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, our God, he can deliver us from this furnace and this fire. He is almighty, he is powerful. But even if he does not, you don't control us. You don't control us. Your grip is not like his grip. Do you know why he was so angry, King Nebuchadnezzar? Because he thought, if I could take your life, then I could at least own you. And they go, no, you could take our lives and you still don't own us. Well, see, that's a heavy word. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. That makes me real uncomfortable. But we talked about those places of discomfort. They can become places of holiness where God is seen. And my devotion, our devotion, our worship and covenant to God is not controlled by our circumstances or the climate around us. Listen, it will be affected. It's fine, it will be affected. You'll feel the hit. They felt the heat in front of the furnace. There's a reality here. Your circumstances, the situation you're encountering every day in school, at work, at home, it'll affect you, but it does not have to control you or me. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 38 through 39, where it's talking about the love that is in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from his love. In other words, nothing can shake us out of his grip of love that is upon us, not height, not death, not angel, nor demon, life or death, anything in this world that we can see or that which is not seen, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this moment foreshadowing what would come, that there was this eternal grip from God that would be found in Jesus, that we, no matter what happens around us, do not have to be controlled by any of those things, but only in the grip of who he is. The test. You don't have the power over my life, money. Boss who treats me poorly, I'm gonna still love you. I'm gonna go out of my way to buy you lunch. And I know you're gonna cut my pay next month. You don't own me. You wanna know how you don't own me? Because I'm choosing to love you. See, that's a different call. Unmet expectations and difficult places and situations. Will we still give him our worship to remind ourselves and our children and our families and our friends and our world around us who controls us and who holds us. The fire and the furnace reveals who's with us. It reveals to you and me who's with us. I love that in that moment, it's so specific in the text there's four now. 
a tangible reality. It wasn't a little smoke. Does it kind of look like a person? I think there's four. It is one who looks like the son of the gods. In other words, what he's saying is there's actually someone else in there. This is what I'm challenging us with. When we find ourselves in those places of tension and difficulty and discomfort, unmet expectations, outside climate trying to get inside of us, when we find ourselves in that furnace, if we stand with him, he will be seen. He will be revealed to the world around us. You know the only thing that burned off in that fire was the ropes that bound them. That's the only thing. They went inbound and they came out free. Listen, this is what I feel in my heart for us as a family here in the room. Sometimes the hardest places is where the deepest freedom comes from. Some of you have been battling with addiction and bondage in your life. Listen, we are called to a difficult path. There is a cost to going after Jesus and to being with him. You won't always be liked or loved, but you can and will be free. And if you're someone who says, I find myself in bondage consistently in addiction and I can't break loose, well, I would challenge you and encourage you, are you running from the moments of the furnace? Because maybe that's where you're gonna see your freedom come from. That situation and moment that's demanding you to bow your knee to it and you choose to say yes to that. And in that choosing, you're saying no to God and you wonder why you're still bound. It's in the hardest places and the most difficult ones that we can often find a holy outcome of freedom. They come out and they're not bound anymore. Their fragrance is not smoky and stinky, but holy and unto the Lord. Anna doesn't like the smell of like smoke afterwards, you know? And so if I go to like a campfire or I'm hanging out, which I love those, and she does too, but when we go in the house, like there's moments I'll get in the bed, she's like, you're smelling up the whole room and the whole bed, and it's gonna smell like this for days, you know? Go, hose yourself off before you come in. That's, that smell gets on you, it stays with you. Oh, church, may we smell like him. When they came out, they didn't smell like the furnace they were thrown into. They had the aroma of the God who was revealed through them. When you go into the workplace, when you go out here and you start driving away and entering into the world he's called you into, may we smell like him and look like him because we found him in the furnace. The worship team can come back up. There were three men together. You know you can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. We need community. The reason we gather together at church with each other, with actual people, and we sit here in the room is because there is a power and a strength that is sacred and holy and needed in being together. There's a boldness. I'm sure when those young men saw everyone else bowing around them to this idol and they knew what was on the other side of their obedience, which would be a furnace, 
Because remember, they didn't choose to say, well, I'll just look at the end of the story. No, they didn't have that privilege or opportunity. We do. In the middle of the story, guess what they knew? There's definitely a furnace there. And he can, but if he doesn't, I still have to make my choice. And I'm sure they turned and they looked and they saw each other standing with one another. There's power in unity. When we gather together, we don't just do it to check the box of, good, did we gather this week? Oh, good. Oh, you didn't gather? We were keeping track. We do keep track of you, by the way. We, we have our ushers, they check each one of you. you. don't even know this, do you? We have imaginary bracelets on you to see how often you come to church. No, I'm kidding. Some of you are like, he's for real. No, 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 it's not for real. No, because that would mean we're just trying to build our own kingdom here and just get a crowd. That's not our heart. Our heart is to gather together so we have the strength to do what we need to out there, finding him in here. And oftentimes, like during our worship time before, when Pastor Matt said, there's people here with joy who are in the midst of a battle with cancer. Oftentimes we'll stop and we'll look and we'll see those individuals and we'll say, wow, if they can worship in the fire, I can worship in the fire too. See, that's the strength of community. And so they looked around and they saw them. They saw each other. We need one another, church. Not just for an hour and a half, but throughout the week. Reach out past your comfort zone. Build relationship with one another. And you'll see the strength of it. You know there's another fire that consumes us but doesn't burn us. John the Baptist tells us about the one who's gonna give it to us in Matthew chapter three, verse 11. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. But there is another coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. In other words, he's on a whole different level. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. With the Holy Spirit and fire. And it doesn't consume you in the way that the world thinks it would, like your paper. It doesn't consume you like your paper and then all of a sudden, you're gone. But like a furnace and a fireplace, he consumes you. He consumes every part of who you are. It doesn't burn you away. It ignites who you've been called to be. It doesn't push people away like a wildfire. It draws people in like a warm fire on a cold night. We got a cold world who needs the fire of God in you and the fire of God in me. You need to go to that workplace and they say, why are you different? Why are you kind to me? I've been a jerk to you. Why are you nice to me and kind to me? And that's when we say, well, can I tell you why? Can I bring you to the feet of the one who changed my life? because the old me would be very different. See, church, we're called to be a furnace and a fireplace with the Spirit of God. He's designed us to be ignited and to hold in our very ontology the Spirit of the all-consuming God who breathed the cosmos into existence, who hovered over the waters and said, let there be. That's the same Spirit in us that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus is speaking before he ascends to his Father. Can we stand up in this moment? Just like they did on that day on that mountain. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. In other words, in the cities and townships around you, you will be my witnesses. 
and to the ends of the earth, it can't be contained. It keeps going now and forevermore. And then Jesus was taken up. And as he ascended, he couldn't be seen anymore. Later on, they go to the upper room and there in that place, the spirit of the Lord comes forth and it says that fire like tongues lands upon them, a fire that does not burn them, but consumes them from the inside out and they are baptized in fire and they become the witnesses of Jesus. Here's what's awesome. Jesus left He ascended to the Father and can't be seen with our eyes anymore, but he sent us the Holy Spirit so we could reveal him to the world around us. What I'm saying, church, is you and I are the Jesus that people will encounter. We're the ones that will bring them to the revelation of who he is. Is that a heavy thing? Yes. Is it a deep thing? Yes. Is it a necessary thing? Yes. Is it forced upon you? No. You just gotta say yes. He won't grip you like a rag doll. Some of you think God just wants you to trick you up, throw you around. He's gonna grip you like a lover. Like when I hold my wife's hand, I love her. And I'm holding on to her because of my love is so deep for her and my children. I hold on to their hands because I love them. He wants you and I to be gripped and connected with him so people might see him and the world as they see the furnaces around us that we're thrown into the unmet expectations that we encounter the bad news and the good news in all things he is in control and has the final say and so they see him may we reveal him if you feel comfortable with doing this if you don't you don't have to can you just put your hands up I mean that. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, that's all right. But like I said, we can't hide who we are. We can't hide who we are. We all know we've been through hardship. Who's been through hardship before? Put your hands up even higher. But man, I know so many of your stories in this room. You've seen Jesus. And people have seen Jesus in you. People have seen Jesus in you when you've walked through your hardest times. Generations have been changed because of the Jesus that you've revealed in the fire. So church, be consumed by the Holy Spirit and his fire for you were created to be that. Oh God, we put our hands up because we say we can't do it. We can't do it, but you can. We say, God, if you deliver us, then deliver us. But if you don't deliver us in the way we thought, it will not steal our worship our adoration, and our yes to you. Lord, may you be seen. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Church, if you want that, say it to them. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Oh God, may we be filled up. May we be filled up. May we be filled up with your fire that the world may see you. Not religion, not good words to say, but sometimes in the silence, sometimes in the weeping, sometimes in the laughing, but in all things they will see.